Welcome to the fourth episode of Counter Voices, a podcast dedicated to unearthing the meaning and dimensions of diversity. Today, we continue to discuss diversity's depth and breadth with Jorge Prosperi, founder of the podcast, the author of Trenza's Braids, and the originator of the website diversitythreads.com. I'm Gloria Lapata Prosperi, and you are listening to Counter Voices. Today, we turn the focus to the challenges that seem to be inherent upon entering a conversation about diversity. That is, feeling confident and comfortable discussing diversity without apprehension or fear. So let's begin with one of the major questions. Why do you believe that there's such a reluctance to freely discuss diversity? Why the hesitation? Why does it quickly become so toxic? I believe that a major reason is because a discussion on diversity can become a personal attack on one's identity and beliefs. Also, the word diversity has been politicized and radicalized. Rather than being a concept discussed with civility, mutual respect, and confidence, the word has been used and continues to be used to divide and create fear. Therefore, diversity is thought to be about others rather than us and our connectedness. Another major factor has to do with how we were raised at home, the language used by family members about others. This means how, when, where we were taught and learned about diversity. What was the tone of comments and conversations? Did the language used promote inclusivity, respect, or disdain and exclusivity? Was the topic of diversity avoided, thought to be too controversial? Avoiding thinking and talking about diversity can lead to adults living in isolation, denying or distorting the existence of a diverse world living in what are called ideological bubbles, echo chambers, silos, confirming and reaffirming biases, listening only to one way of thinking in absolute terms, driving us further away from each other. To add to the complexity, I believe that today we are living with social, cultural, political, cognitive dissidents. What do I mean by this term? It means being ambiguous, perplexed, and inconsistent about our thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, especially dealing with decisions, choices, and change. Cognitive dissidence means feeling insecure about what is right and wrong, good and evil, the truth, or fiction about our history, unsure of truths and lies. We hear people promoting alternate, contrived facts and realities, falsehoods peddled as facts without shame or integrity. We hear unsubstantiated, opinionated tweets promoting misinformation and blatant lies, normalizing falsehoods and deception. That only adds to the confusion about our beliefs regarding our relationship and connection to each other. Would you also comment on another dissonance that is often mentioned but not often defined, and that is the term politicizing grievances? 
what you are referring to has different names and layers and is a political strategy meant to divide people. Again, it's important to address terminology, language. Other terms associated with grievance politics are pitchfork politics, blame-based politics, scapegoat politics. None of these strategies are new, and they all have a long history. The politics of anger, bitterness, and hate are based on grievances that define and interpret diversity and democracy as enemies of personal freedoms and rights. The intention is to fuel negative emotions about others. It feeds off of downturns, downturns in economy, loss of jobs, inflation, recession, gas prices, immigration, natural calamities like the pandemic, and shifts in demographics. During downturns, it's easier to blame others rather than promoting solution by having rural, urban, and suburban communities working together to solve their individual unique problems, and yet problems that are connected to each other. Scapegoat politics is an old, old strategy used to gain power, and I feel used to abuse segments of our society to gain popularity. It's difficult to even begin a conversation about diversity when the very word and the concept is dismissed as political correctness. Lastly, attitudes that isolate and exclude can become threatening and toxic when a segment of society thinks, believes, and is constantly told that diversity is literally an enemy, stealing their social, cultural, political power and control of that power. I'm curious if during the years of participating in diversity workshops and conferences, if you found that participants mentioned some factors that they felt created barriers to engage in discussions about diversity, both personally and professionally. Yes, a major factor often mentioned during conferences is fear. Now, before continuing, let me share that I am not a psychologist and I can't speak to the many dimensions and reasons related to fear. My understanding of fear is that it is an unpleasant emotion triggered by a perception of danger, a threat, unknowns, real or imagined. That perception of who and what to fear can be shaped by family, language, social relationships, experiences, region, culture. For example, as youngsters, we may have been taught to be suspicious of difference, wary of the unfamiliar and foreign, even feeling threatened by difference. Difference can be an image. For example, someone wearing dreadlocks, tattoos, or a hoodie, a a woman wearing hijab, or a person wearing ethnic clothing, someone wearing a motorcycle leather jacket with inscriptions, or someone with a cowboy hat or boots. Fear can be initiated by a simple word like rural, urban, suburban, conservative, liberal. It could be a feeling of mistrust by hearing someone with an accent 
or hearing another language that we don't understand, or feeling discomfort seeing an interracial family with biracial children. It can take place by happenstance, during a conversation at a water cooler at work or a family gathering. Such conversations and reactions regarding difference can quickly move in different directions depending on the readiness of each individual or group to continue the dialogue with knowledge and awareness. In response to your question, let me list a few of the fears involved that often are mentioned during conferences on diversity. The fear of race baiting, fear of sounding arrogant or defensive, fear of having our identity, political party, or ideology attacked. Fear that we may be misunderstood and hurt the feelings of others without intent or malice. The fear that our view on diversity may get us in trouble with fellow employees or employer. The fear of being ostracized by family members or members of a congregation. There is also the fear that a conversation on diversity will end up bashing white people or fear of having to deal with Black Lives Matter. It can be a feeling of discomfort or unknowing about initialisms. For example, LGBTQIA+. There is also the daunting fear of realizing that what we were taught to believe as truths about others by family, school, and community becomes questionable, requiring further examination, reflection, and the ultimate fear, the fear of change. It's difficult to come to terms with the reality that what we believed to be true, what we learned as a child, reaffirmed by family, friends, and community becomes questionable. That confrontation with self is a big deal psychologically. And I believe that the older we get, the more difficult it becomes to confront change. Fear can imprison and paralyze leading to self-oppression, keeping us from growing. It takes a willingness and courage to change, that is, to change by choice and by design. So a goal of this podcast is to provide some strategies to enter difficult conversations about diversity. Tell us, how do we engage and remain engaged talking about diversity when it seems to be like walking on a minefield? Sometimes, Gloria, the best approach is to do some homework and be prepared. Find sources you can trust to provide candid references with different points of views. Our website, for example, provides a bibliography and glossary of terms that continue to expand exponentially that can enhance awareness, knowledge, at a minimum expand context and insight. Become familiar and comfortable with basic language dealing with diversity. For example, a white person, upon hearing for the first time the words white privilege, white entitlement, white capital, white supremacy, may instantly revert to a fight-or-flight position. 
If there is no awareness of these terms or knowledge of the concepts, then the reaction to defend, deny, or avoid is understandable. The challenge when dialoguing about diversity is to suspend judgment, not think of it as winning or losing a debate, or becoming a defense or prosecuting attorney, or converting the other to your point of view or beliefs. Rather, listen with curiosity and ask questions. Lean into discomfort of asking, what don't I know that I don't know about diversity? Listening with an open mind is significant. Ask often, what can we agree upon? Another strategy, discussing different points of view on an article, book, poem, art, movie, can provide insights rich, rich with meaning. Also, and this is most important, it is pertinent, pertinent to admit and own our prejudices and biases. As my parents used to say, mírate en el espejo primero, which means look in the mirror first. To own our own stuff is a major first step. Now, how do we do this? Reflect on the legacy, the history of our prejudices and biases. When and where did they begin? How were they developed, constructed? The answers may be difficult to face. It may be that a mom, dad, uncle, grandpa, or neighbor, school chums, teacher, coach, even a minister initiated questionable language, biased attitudes, and values. Also, personal storytelling can lead to empathy and create a sense of mutual esteem and respect for the human condition that binds all of us. Consider whether there are concessions that can be made. One question that I always ask is, what can we agree on that will enhance the quality of life of our children and future generations? But how do we respond when we hear contrived talking points that are unsubstantiated or, un, or proven to be untruths, but still believed and promoted as truths? Try to discern what is verifiable based on research and data rather than opinions or contrived daily talking points meant to troll us rather than educate us. Ask often, what is the intent of the message? Who is missing from the conversation and why? Ultimately, Gloria, we cannot be responsible for the readiness of others to be knowledgeable. We are responsible as adults for our own learning and readiness to engage in challenging conversations. Therefore, when facing the wall of absolute thinking and closed-mindedness, don't keep hitting your head against it. It's perfectly acceptable, acceptable to not agree with another's perspective. But make an effort to leave the door open for future discussions. I avoid saying, let's agree to disagree, but rather, let's continue the conversation because this was just one episode of many. Now, don't misunderstand me. Continuing to dialogue does not mean that I relent or consent but rather want to continue to engage. Why? 
Seeking understanding is a goal that can avoid vilifying and seeing others as the enemy. There is great value and worth in moving from a prejudicial and biased perspective to one of tolerance, or at a minimum, neutrality. Removing a prejudice or bias is progress. Now, don't expect that your benevolence, goodwill, your willingness to listen and compromise will be reciprocal. That wish and hope may never happen. There is always a segment of society that will adamantly avoid critical thinking, irrefutable evidence, and change, even deny the very existence of the universe. A classic example is the astronomer, the physicist, engineer, Galileo, who was accused in 1615 of blasphemy by the Roman Inquisition that concluded that he was a heretic and contradicted Holy Scripture. He was pronounced vehemently suspect of heresy, and he spent the rest of his life under house arrest, all because he dared to share the reality and knowledge of what he saw through new lenses. He urged, just look through the telescope for heaven's sake, no pun intended. Galileo was dealing with facts, data, findings, not tweets or TikTok moments. Fast forward to 2022. There is a segment of society in America that proclaims that the earth remains the center of the universe with man as its core, that earth is owned by man, and that diversity is but a social, cultural, political hoax. There is a segment of America that believes that slavery was not all that bad. Everyone had a job. And that slavery was justified by the Bible. That colonialism and Western expansions were ordained and blessed by God. And that the Holocaust never happened. And furthermore, that whiteness is supreme and that it should be the pre-selected race when it comes to status, power, and control. Therefore, do not be surprised when well-intended discourse and dialogue is not reciprocal. But do not shut down. Democracy, citizenship, and our humanity demands that we not shut down. Find your power of influence and don't lose sight don't lose your voice. Diversity by its inherent nature is all-encompassing and embraces difference, and therefore there is no need to fear it. Well, clearly there's certainly anxiety and stress about the future of America that seems to be fueled by blatant negativity and skepticism. There's also a desperate need, a hunger to remain hopeful and also be willing and confident to talk about diversity with family, friends, and colleagues, as you emphasize, without fear. Do you believe that we'll get there? Absolutely, yes. I have no doubt that we will continue to evolve, not only as a country, but as citizens of the world. The 21st century is focused on the future, but always learning from the past and present. We will continue to improve, rebuild, 
and move forward, even in the face of lingering overt and covert prejudices and biases. I firmly believe that we will move on from needless global wars, invasions, insurrections, and domestic terrorism that create needless, and I emphasize the word needless, victimization, needless multi-generational trauma, the needless loss of precious life. Why do I have such a daunting belief? Because the inspiring reality of a democracy is its inclusivity, relentlessly calling for transparency, collaboration, partnerships, and alliances, which means that all of us have a voice rather than just some. What I find most alluring and captivating about democracy is its power to provide access and thereby empowers others. Democracy is an ongoing dynamic process. It has never been, nor will it ever be, static. It's not about one event, one party, or one person. I believe that there is a fundamental, magnanimous, selfless advocacy about democracy, a universality that seeks the greater good driven by the forces of human intelligence, virtuous and ethical principles, the pursuit of the truth, and focusing on enhancing the quality of life for all, all human beings, yes, even those who may not always agree with us. So to your question, Gloria, will we get there? Yes, because we will continue to evolve, continue to validate and authenticate each other as human beings. There is a wise adage that says, while we are all human beings, a major challenge is to discover our humanness. And this is what I believe we will continue to do. As always, thank you, Jorge, for sharing your insights and for the optimistic perspective that is so very much needed. Our next podcast will deal with the question that parents and teachers often ask when approaching the subject of diversity, and that is, when should children begin to learn about diversity, equity, and inclusivity? We look forward to that discussion. Again, a sincere thanks to Alan Contino, executive producer and chief engineer of Delirium Networks, and to Nancy Gage and Anthony Baez for the graphic designs on the website and podcast. And lastly, our thanks to each of you for joining us. I'm Gloria Lapata Prosperi, and you have been listening to Counter Voices. Counter Voices.